I couldn't help but think of that verse in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. The, um, the translators didn't know what to do with uh, this repetition of peace, peace. <laughs> it's such good peace that the Lord gives to his people that it has to be called what we see there in Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Amen. Now, if you would take your Bibles with me and open to the book of the Psalms. The book of the Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 59 this morning. And if you would, look there with me, beginning in verse 10. Psalm 59, verse 10. The psalmist writes, indeed, God's word declares there, The God of my mercy, the God of my grace, shall prevent me. And then in verse 17, Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing, for God is my defense and the God of my mercy. God is my defense and the God of my mercy. My friend, can you hear what our brother is rejoicing in? Our strength, the Lord Jesus Christ, has both paid our penalty of the law and further to that, he has performed the law for us. Do you know what it takes to save a sinner like you, a sinner like me? Only the God of mercy. You see, we've got to have mercy in order to be saved. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But if I'm going to be saved, if you're going to be saved, you and I both need mercy from God. Mercy that is really for you and really for me. Now, this is not this uh, so-called uh, provided salvation, not this potential salvation that's up to me to accept or reject. I was reading recently an article titled, God's Plan of Salvation, where the writer concludes concerning salvation, the choice is yours. My friend, the choice is not yours. You see, salvation is not by your choice, rather it's by God's choice. That's the glory of the gospel, is it not? Remember when Moses asked God, Lord, show me your glory. Our good and ready to forgive God answered, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So you see, God doesn't have a plan of salvation. Rather, he has purposed the salvation of his people and it's by his choice, not yours. You see, I need that purposed salvation reserved from God that's really and truly for me. And my friend, if you're going to be saved, you need the same thing. 
mercy from God that is reserved, that is really and truly intended for you. You see, that's the God David is writing about here. The God of my mercy. And now David sets forth God's mercy that saves sinners there in verse 10. Now notice he uses the word prevent. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. Now it sounds like David is saying that God in his mercy will prevent me from falling into, con- into condemnation. God will prevent me from falling into the hand of the in- enemy. And I can escape through the window as we just read that account of David from 1 Samuel chapter 19. Now while that's true, that's not what David is talking about here. You see, when David uses the word prevent, that means to proceed or to go before. It's where we get the term prevenient, and that's referring to prevenient grace. Grace before grace. Mercy before mercy. Mercy that went before us and was there before we ever knew we needed mercy. Mercy that was there before we ever experienced it because it went before us. Now, this word prevent also means to anticipate or to send help before it's even asked for. Beloved, God's mercy was for you purposed before you were ever born. You see, before there was ever a sinner in the world, God purposed our Savior before the foundation of the world, before Adam fell in the garden. And this word prevent also means to hasten. Lord, hurry up and help before it's too late. What a blessed description of God's mercy. My friend, that's the kind of mercy that saves sinners. You see, if we're going to be saved, this is the kind of mercy we need. Now, I want to set forth for our consideration this morning five truths about God's saving mercy that goes before. You who are listening to him this morning, you who are hearing his voice through the preaching of the gospel, be sure to apply each one of these five truths to yourself. You see, beloved, this is God's mercy for you and for me who believe. Now, first of all, this mercy that goes before is electing mercy. So when did God's mercy begin? Beloved, God's mercy is just like God. And so just as God is eternal, so too is his mercy. You see, his mercy starts in eternity. And so before God created anything, mercy went before. Remember, one of the definitions of this word prevent is anticipated. And so before God created anything, he anticipated our need for mercy. You see, he knew Adam would sin and plunge his whole race into sin and death. And so God's mercy went before, even before God created Adam. Even before he put him in the garden, God purposed to save some of Adam's fallen race, and because he anticipated their fall, mercy went before, and he purposed to save them out of Adam's fallen race. You see, my friend, the election of God's people wasn't left to chance. wasn't left to chance. But rather, in the covenant of grace, God chose to save a specific people individually picked out of the seemingly numberless multitude of human beings. You see, he picked out his people by name, individually, a number that no man can number. And every single one of them can say, by his undeserved grace, 
given to them in Christ Jesus. He's the God of my mercy. Does that not just bless your soul? To know that the true and living God is the God of your mercy? How he chose to save you who believe on purpose? Even though he knew what I'd be, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Beloved, our salvation is not of works, but of him that calleth. Now, why does our hope rest in him that calleth? Because that's the only kind of mercy that will save a sinner like you and me. Because we would never call him. We would never have chosen God first. Never. You see, in our fallen state, we would have never chosen God first. And God knew that. And so he anticipated the problem. And he chose his people first. Beloved, we would have never chosen to be saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our nature will not, cannot bow to him, cannot believe him. And God knew that. And so anticipated the problem, and he sent mercy out ahead of us and put us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. You see, before there was a sinner, there was a Savior because God anticipated his people's need of mercy. And in mercy, he elected them unto salvation. And so you see, his mercy is eternal. Now, the second thing I want us to see here is how that his mercy goes before that this mercy that goes before is redeeming mercy. Mercy that is on full display at Calvary. Now, I know at the time that Christ died, already there were many saints in glory. Now, someone might think when Christ died for his people, well, that mercy wasn't for those that went before, for Old Testament saints. Well, yes, it was. You see, it was mercy that went before. My friend, the reason that those Old Testament saints are in glory is because Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, the covenant of grace was done in eternity. You see, God the Father purposed to save a people in the sacrifice of His Son. That was His will. And my friend, what God purposes, well, that's just as good as done. For you see, when God purposes to save His people through the sacrifice of Christ, those saints that went to glory before Christ actually died on the earth, it was because of mercy that went before. And so just as we're saved, beloved, so too those saints of the Old Testament are washed in the blood of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And so now for us who live after the death of Christ on the cross, well, it's easy to see how that's an act of mercy that went before us. It went before us in eternity and God's purpose. And it went before us in human time and that's what we read about at the opening of this psalm. This is Christ speaking from the cross. Listen to our Lord speak there in verse 1. Psalm 59, verse 1. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, not for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, 
And behold, thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen, be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. You see, he was given into the hands of his wicked enemies so that God's purpose of redemption would be accomplished through the crucifixion of his son. And our Savior cried out in agony, Oh, how his enemies mistreated him and made him to suffer. Now, I know they only had power that God gave them. We know that. Those enemies only had power that God gave them. In Acts chapter 4, we read of how the, the kings, the powerful people of the earth, stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatsoever their wicked hearts had determined beforehand to be done. And they did exactly what their wicked hearts wanted to do. Ultimately, God overruled their wickedness and accomplished what he determined beforehand to, do, to be done. And what was that? The redemption of God's people through the sacrifice of his son. We read in Acts chapter 2 how that Christ was delivered to be crucified by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God to be crucified and slain by wicked hands. You see, at Calvary, all those kings of the earth and the rulers and the Gentiles and the people of Israel carried out God's purpose from all eternity. And so the death of Christ on the cross in time is simply God carrying out his eternal purpose of mercy for his people. Mercy that he sent before to redeem them. So you see, this must happen. For God elected a people unto salvation, but the substitute has got to give his life. The sacrifice has got to shed his blood and die to put away their sin. And so those people that God chose to save, they're lost and they must be found. God knew they'd fall in Adam. He anticipated their problem. And he knew that their sin could only be put away with sinless, perfect blood. And they wouldn't have any. You see, all their blood is polluted with sin. And so God anticipated the problem. And he sent a sinless substitute. God sent a sinless substitute, his beloved, well-pleasing son, to die in their place, who had sinless blood, whose sacrifice would put away the sin of his elect. Look at the end of verse 3. This is Christ speaking as our substitute. He says, They lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. Well, if it wasn't for his transgression, if it wasn't for his sin, for whose transgression and sin was it? It was for the sin of God's elect. It was for the sin of God's elect. That, that's what was charged to him. You see, when Christ was made sin, the sin of his elect became his sin. Indeed, we hear our Lord declaring repeatedly of the sin of his elect as being mine iniquity. And Well, that begs the question. If he owns the sin of his elect as being his sin, why does he say, not for my transgression, nor for my sin? Why does he say in verse 4, without my fault? Beloved, he says that so that you and I would know he's suffering for the sin of his people. 
You see, though his people committed all the sin he suffers for, he put away all the sin of his people by the sacrifice of himself. He suffered under God's wrath for it. He suffered condemnation for it. He suffered death for that sin so that his people never will. Beloved, this is our substitute speaking. Now, when we say what the scriptures say, that our Heavenly Father made him sin for us, no one is ever saying by that that Christ was made a sinner. Rather, when we set forth what the scriptures plainly teach, we're declaring how that Christ is our substitute, and he was made what we are so that he could be our substitute. We're not saying that Christ was made, made a sin nature like we have. Nobody's saying that. Rather, what we're saying is, is how he was made flesh. He was made a real man, flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone, and yet without sin, so that he could be our substitute. You see, he had no sin of his own, so he can take the sin of his people upon himself. The Lord Jesus Christ never sinned. He knew no sin, did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. Remember the time they tried to stone him? He told them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? You see, the only works he ever did were good works. He never sinned, and he was not a sinner. And though they couldn't charge him with sin, they, they, they claimed, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy we're going to kill you, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Well, he doesn't make himself God. For you see, he is God, manifest in the flesh. And he never once sinned. But oh, how he suffered for it. Now, not for any sin he committed, but rather for the sin of his people laid upon him. You see, he became guilty of their sin, and in justice the Father put him to death. Beloved, he suffered on Calvary's tree because our sin became his sin. And he took it away from us so that he could make his people the righteousness of God in him. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 17. The 17th proverb. And here's the good news in verse 15. Proverbs 17, verse 15. He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Well, how can this be? To justify the wicked is an abomination? Well then, what of the believing sinner? Does not God's word set forth that a wicked sinner like you and a wicked sinner like me is justified by his blood? How then is that not an abominable and immoral thing for God to justify us? Because, beloved, our Heavenly Father has made His just Son to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I can't explain that, but I believe that. You see, God has made His just Son to be wicked in His sight. How did He do that? By making the Lord Jesus Christ guilty of our sin. He was condemned wicked in God's sight bearing the sins of his people. So now through his doing and dying, we have been justified. And beloved, as a consequence, 
the demands of God's law being now satisfied, he may justify wicked sinners through the precious blood of his darling son, which makes them innocent and just in his sight. Our substitute, God's only begotten son, was made to bear the guilt and shame of our sins. And you, beloved, are made to be innocent, not guilty, indeed made the righteousness of God in Christ. Beloved, our great God only does what is right. He justifies the innocent and he condemns the guilty, and both are righteous to the Lord. God's word declares, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. My friend, Christ was made sin. He took my sin, and he put it away from me. My friend, this is the message that comforts God's people. You see, beloved, if Christ suffered for my sin, I never will. If Christ died for my sin, I'll never die. For if the Father exhausted his wrath upon my sin on Christ, my substitute, not a drop of it will ever fall on me. I'll never be delivered into the hands of God's justice. But Christ went to Calvary's tree and suffered for his people because mercy went before us. Beloved, God purposed a sacrifice for our sin. And indeed, as we read there in the last verse, he is the God of my mercy. You who believe on Christ, forget the number that no man can number for just a moment and think of him suffering there for you. Believing sinner, he gave his life a ransom with your name on his heart. He went there to put your sin away, to be remembered no more, in mercy that went before. Now, thirdly, mercy that goes before is life-preserving mercy. God's mercy kept me alive during all the time of my rebellion against God. Now, I know God chose to save a people in eternity. That's electing mercy that went before. And I know that Christ died for those people. He died for them on the cross. That's redeeming mercy that went before. And I was born in sin. I was born hating God. I was born an enemy of God. I was one of those enemies crying out, crucify him, crucify him. I'll not have this man to reign over me. I didn't know God. I didn't love God didn't believe on Christ. Now, I heard of him, but I didn't believe on him. And if I would have died in that state, humanly speaking, in my experience, I know I would have gone to hell. Now, that's just the reality of my experience. But, beloved, he delivered me. You see, our life is but a vapor. I mean, things can change just like that. We can be taken out so easily. And so to human logic, it sounds like the slightest thing could have ended my life and sent me to hell. Seems that way, doesn't it? But not if the God of my mercy has gone before me. You see, God's electing and redeeming mercy that went before also kept me alive until God gave me life and faith in Christ in the new birth. God's elect are delivered from many life-threatening events, Things that happened and should have killed us before, but it didn't. Some of them they know about. 
we, we can't possibly know about all of the times our Lord has delivered us. You know, some of them, they went through a, maybe a car wreck, uh, a botched surgery, uh, a drowning, or, or whatever. And they say, you know, it's, it's a miracle I survived that. Well, beloved, I can tell you why. It's because of God's mercy going before, preserving and protecting you till the time God crossed your path with the gospel, giving you faith in his son. And you know, beloved, there's lots of those things that could have just killed us that we never even knew about. And that's because of God's prevenient mercy, God's prevenient grace. It's God going before, preserving us and protecting us. Look at verse 11, Psalm 59. Verse 11. Slay them not. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Now, earlier he says, slay them, so that they be no more. But here he says, slay them not. Now, what is that referring to? Well, beloved, those are the words of Christ, our Savior. This is Christ from the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Don't wipe them all out yet. Not yet. Give them space to repent. Now, I know this. Whoever it is that Christ prayed for from the cross, and we know he prayed for his sheep, for his people, Father, forgive them that they know, they know not what they do. We know emphatically everyone that Christ prayed for is forgiven. You see, this speaks of his people. And I know they're forgiven, for the Father always gives the Son what he asks for. And so this speaks not only to his elect people here at Sovereign Grace Church, but this also speaks to these elect before him among the crowd gathered there at the cross. This one here, this Roman soldier over there, the centurion who's overseeing the whole bloody mess, one of those chief priests that plotted to have the Son of God put to death. And though the Lord knows they're an enemy right now, just as surely as we were once enemies, and the Lord knows how they hate him, nevertheless, he prays in effect, Father, don't wipe them out. Don't wipe them out, not yet, because mercy is going before and that mercy is going to meet them. You see, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so, Father, don't wipe them out now. Don't wipe them out just yet. You see, God's mercy goes before. His life-preserving mercy that makes us so that we cannot be killed. We're immortal until God crosses our path with the gospel and gives us faith to believe. This is God's mercy that keeps us up to that point. And fourthly, this brings me to mercy that goes before is regenerating mercy. It's mercy to give life in the new birth. You see, God elected a people in eternity. That's his electing mercy that went before And his son came and died for those people. In time, he came to shed his precious blood to put their sin away. That's redeeming mercy that went before. But now, 
Hear me. There's no salvation without faith in Christ. If you and I would be saved, we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would be saved, if I would be saved, you must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's our problem. We're dead. Spiritually speaking, we're dead. We've got a sin nature that will not believe, that cannot believe, that cannot seek Christ, that cannot love him. But beloved, God anticipated our problem. He knew we'd be dead in sin, and he sent regenerating mercy ahead. Mercy that went before, that hastened to meet us, that hastened to help us before it was, humanly speaking, too late, and give us life and faith in Christ and the new birth through the preaching of the gospel. You see, that's mercy that goes before and it's mercy that comes to us before we even ask for it. Now, I know there comes a point when we beg God for mercy. I understand that. But, beloved, that's only after God's prevenient mercy. That's only after God's prevenient grace went before and hastened to come help us, to meet us. You see, we didn't even know we were dead. We didn't even know there was a problem, not until God sent mercy and showed us. Beloved, God knew we'd be dead and he anticipated the problem and sent life-giving mercy and the new birth. And the only time we find out we were dead is after God gives us life. The only time we ever find out that we have an old man is when God gives us a new man. <clears throat> My believing friend, that's God's mercy. What other explanation could there be for the woman at the well? She was there on a specific day, an exact day, ordained from all eternity. She's going out in the heat of the day because everybody else knows it's too hot to be out there. She's doing this on purpose so as to avoid seeing anybody. And to her dismay, there sits a man on Jacob's well. What's he doing there? The God of her mercy went before and he would not leave her or forsake her. I love what John records in that chapter of John. You can turn there with me. John chapter 4. This one four-letter word that speaks of the gospel of our salvation, beloved. It speaks of God's purposed grace given to us in Christ Jesus. I wonder if some of you already know what that word might be. <laughs> Verse 4. This is before our Lord finds himself at that well. And he must <laughs> needs go through Samaria. Why does it say there must? Because our Lord and God Jesus Christ was sent into the world to save sinners. In particular, he went into the world to do the Father's commandment. He tells us in John chapter 6, in verse 39, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. He's a sovereign, successful Savior. And so that's why he's there at the well. He must save this woman because she's one of his elect one of his precious sheep. You see, beloved, the God of her mercy went before 
and he would not leave her or forsake her. I love how we read over and over again in the Old Testament, God's word setting forth, beloved, he will not fail thee. He will not fail thee. He will not fail thee. You see, he wouldn't let her go. He was there waiting to give her life, to reveal himself to her. And after she experienced that life-giving mercy, she left her water pot. You see, she forgot all about needing water. And she ran and she told everybody, Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? He's got to be the Christ. Come and see. Come and see. I mean, before God's mercy came to her, she's trying to avoid to be seen. And now she's running to find people and tell them, come and see, come and see. God's life-giving mercy hastened to meet her and help her, giving her life before it was too late. Saul of Tarsus, God's mercy went before him to meet him there on the road to Damascus. Lydia, going down there by the riverside, and God's mercy went before her to open her heart. Peter, out there fishing. Matthew, collecting taxes. And the Lord passed by and said, follow me. And straightway, immediately, they followed him. Now, why would they do that? I mean, they never saw this man before. Because, beloved, God's mercy went before and they followed him. And the same thing is true of you and me that believe on Christ. The only reason we believe is because his mercy went before and met us and gave us life and faith in the new birth. And then lastly, mercy that has gone before is going to keep going before to preserve and protect me against every enemy. Now, David knew that. David knew God's mercy had gone before him, and he was confident it's going to keep going before him. He writes in another psalm, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someone once said that those two things, goodness and mercy, are the Lord's sheepdogs that chase us all the days of our time state in this world, and then that expected end when we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beloved, that's God's mercy that's going before me all the days of my life. And the God of my mercy is going to bring me all the way to glory. You see, God's purpose, grace, and mercy can't fail because God's grace and mercy is powerful. Look at verse 9. Psalm 59, verse 9. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. You see, God's mercy is powerful, so it will defend us from every enemy. Verse 6. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth swords in their lips, for who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Now they return at evening. And you know why they return at evening? Well, just like a bunch of cockroaches coming out under the cover of darkness. They're like dogs who come out in the dark and they bark and they think they're scaring everybody away and all these enemies think they're able to devour you. But you see, God laughs because they're easily defeated by his overruling power. I mean, God doesn't even need to exert himself. 
He just lets them be destroyed in their own traps by their own words. Verse 12. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. You see, God just lets them be taken in their own traps. He lets them be judged by their own words. They said, we don't want him. They, we don't want him, they said. Let his blood be on, on us and our own children. And the sword of their own lips killed them when God let them be taken in their pride. And the guilt of his blood is on them to this day for cursing and lying which they speak. They said they don't want him. They said they don't want him. Well, I want him. I want him. What about you? Verse 13. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. And at evening let them return. And let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not be satisfied. Now every enemy of God is going to bark like a dog. They're going to go about the city barking and growling, and they're never going to find anything that satisfies them because they're looking in all the wrong places. And in his time, God is going to destroy every enemy. But God's people, however, well, they're preserved. They're protected from every one of those enemies because of God's powerful grace and mercy that goes before them. Beloved, we can trust in God's mercy. It's powerful because it depends upon God's strength, not mine. His mercy and grace depends on God's purpose, not mine. My friend, that's the only kind of mercy that will take me all the way to glory. Mercy that does not depend upon me. That's why our Lord said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let them live until all of God's mercy has been fulfilled. You see, God's mercy is powerful enough to make his people praise him, even when the enemy is out there barking like a dog. God's mercy is powerful enough to make his people sing. Verse 16, But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing, for God is my defense and the God of my mercy. And so let the wicked howl and bark like dogs, but God's people sing. And so, beloved, sing of his power to choose me, his power to redeem me, his power to give me life, his power to keep me, his power to preserve and protect me every step of the way to glory. Oh, the power of his mercy. I love to sing, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's loving mercy for me. Beloved, his loving mercy is powerful enough to overcome all my sin. And David, who sets forth this revenient mercy, this mercy that goes before, declares how these are sure mercies. Indeed, beloved, because they're the sure mercies of Christ, the Son of David, they are the sure mercies of David, you and me, and everyone who believes on Christ. You see, these are the sure mercies because they depend upon the power of God to carry out his purpose of mercy for his people. My friend, God's sovereignty is not merely some 
theological doctrine of distinction that we talk about that separates us from free will religion. It's much more than that. It's his sovereignty, his absolute sovereignty, that guarantees the salvation of his people. And beloved, it guarantees the protection of every object of mercy that he's bringing all the way to glory. Beloved, God's mercy that went before is going to keep going before us all the way until he brings every one of his people home. Now, I know he's going to bring a number that no one can number. I understand that. And I understand he's preserving and protecting a people all over the world right now. We just can't conceive the power, the intricacy, and the beautiful tapestry of his purpose, all working together to preserve and protect his people. But, oh, what a blessing it is to say with the psalmist, he's the God of my mercy. Beloved, he's the God of our mercy, for he's engaged all of his power, all of his mercy, all of his grace, indeed, his very glory in bringing us home to glory. Every single one of you who believe, he's put all that he is in you. And as he is, beloved, so are we in this world. I can't explain that. <laughs> I can't explain that. But that's just so. As he is right now, seated in glory at the right hand of the Father, so are we in him, beloved. And so unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. That word defense, in the last verse, speaks of his blood. Beloved, he's our refuge, our redemption from the law, and the God of my mercy. That word mercy speaks of his beauty. Beloved, he is the God of my righteousness. Amen.